Father, we do lift up the situation in Afghanistan, and, and Lord, uh, we just, I, I pray for people who are trapped, and Lord, that in this moment right now, they, they feel like they have no hope, and, and I pray that, God, that believers will reach out, and a lot of believers I know are trapped, and we just pray, God, for your hand to move mightily. And I pray for this, especially this one organization that's going in and, and pulling people out, Lord. Just use them and bless them. And, and God, let that be effective. And Lord, as we get into your word, as we look at, at what you have for us this morning personally, individually, and corporately, I pray that it would touch our hearts and lives and, and that... that uh, that God, we wouldn't, we wouldn't go away here uh, just feeling like we did a religious duty and, and, and did something that we were uh, supposed to, but God, we would leave here knowing we've been in the presence of our God and that our God has spoken to us and has uh, brought us to that place where we can honor him and glorify him with our lives. Bless this time, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, as Paul kind of transitions here in chapter four, and you know, the interesting thing, oftentimes when we read about commands that God gives us and direction he gives us, oftentimes we look at those as, I have to do that because I don't want to make God mad, or I have to do that because God said so. And here's what's interesting. If you really look up, every time God gives a command, that command is always preceded by how much God loves us and how much he's even gonna take care of us. Even the 10 commandments. When you look at the 10 commandments, a lot of us know the 10 commandments, but what we don't read is what God says before he gave the 10 commandments. He says, I'm giving you this because I'm the one who brought you out of Egypt. I'm the one who, who delivered you from slavery and I'm the one who loves you. So because of that, this is how your life should look. So don't forget that. Listen, don't look at what he's telling us this morning as something I have to do because I don't want to make God mad or I don't want to get on his bad side. Look at it as I get to do this because of what God has done in my life and what God has done for me. Obviously, if you read the beginning of Thessalonians, he's really poured that out, right? He's made it very evident what God has done in the first three chapters and how great our God is and how great our salvation is. So now he gets into some nitty-gritty stuff that you and I need to realize, and it's stuff that we need to walk in because we're believers, not to become believers, but because of that. So here in verse one of chapter four, it says, finally then, brethren, oh, I gotta say something. He's not like closing and then not gonna close right away. When he's saying finally, he's saying, listen, in lieu of or because of what I've said before, so I don't want you to get mad at Paul, then say he just goes on. But listen, finally then, brethren, we urge and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more just as you receive from us how you ought to walk to please God. Now, here's what, I, here's what, here's what really ministers to my heart. is first of all, Paul, do you kind of get the idea He's almost begging them. He says, I urge you, I plead with you. Listen, man, I really want you to do this. Not because you're gonna get in trouble, but because of who you are. I want you to realize this in your lives. I want you to impact this world and make a difference in this world. And then he says this, I want you to do this more and more. He's gonna say that again. Here's what I'm getting from chapter four. 
in, in 1 Thessalonians. We need to keep on growing. You don't reach a place in your Christianity where you hit the plateau and go, I have arrived. I know some people think that. But you don't do that. Listen, you don't do that. You gotta, you gotta keep going and keep going and keep going and keep going. Even Paul at the end of his life, when he's writing the last letter to Timothy, what does Paul say at the end of his life? I am the chief of all sinners. Not I was, I am. And so we need to understand, listen, we need to be growing people. And he says, man, I want you to do this more and more. I want you to be more focused on it. I want you to be someone who's more real about it and understanding about it. So listen, as he says that, he says, he says and just as you receive how you ought to walk to please God. When he's talking about walking, he's not talking about literally walking. I think most of us know that, right? He's talking about living. Our life should reflect our relationship with Jesus Christ. We should live in such a way that people wouldn't even have to listen to us. They could just watch us and go, there's a believer. There's somebody who knows Jesus. There's an individual that's, that has a, a relationship with the creator of the universe. That's how, and he says, listen, I want you to walk that way. And he says, look, verse two, for you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus Christ. Once again, the commandments aren't a thing like, if you don't do this, man, you're gonna get it. Hey, when I was a kid, here's what I knew, man. If I didn't do what I was told, that belt was coming out of belt loops, right? Some of us grew up with that. Sometimes now, when I, I take my, pant, my belt off too fast, I break out in a sweat. I think, oh, man, I'm gonna get it. And my dad was not abusive, I don't wanna say that, but we just knew, listen. And then, here's the bad thing though, we kinda of carry that over into our relationship with God. And we say, well, if I don't do this, he's commanded this, and if I don't do this, I'm gonna get in trouble. Now we're gonna talk about, there's consequences, but that's not our motivation. Our motivation is because he loves me, because Jesus Christ died for me, because he gave his life for me, and I'm motivated by that love. What did Jesus say? What was the greatest commandment Jesus gave us? The world will know you're my disciples by the love that you have for one another, right? Not how much we know, not how much we do, not all that, that love that we have for one another. So Paul lays that out, listen, and, and Paul, like right now he's going, here's how we need to walk. Now he's gonna hit two very specific things, and I think he hits these two things for a reason. I think they were the main things that were disrupting the church in the first century, because I think that's important we understand. He's writing to correct them, right? And so far, there hasn't been much to correct in Thessalonica, but listen to this. He, he writes and he says, I want you to do this. Then verse three, I want you just to read the very first part of verse three. For this is the will of God, stop there. Look up, don't read on, cheaters. How many times have you said, I wanna know what the will of God is? We do that a lot, don't we? Now listen, I know when people are asking, like people will come and ask me, I really wanna know what the will of God is for my life. I know what they're asking. They're wanting, listen, they're wanting to know what his specific will is for their life. And my answer, I'll save you the trouble, you don't have to come and ask me anymore. My answer is you do the revealed general will of God and then you will find the specific will of God. And God reveals his will right here 
He's revealing his will. This is the will of God. Listen carefully. This is the will of God, your sanctification. Oh, let's stop there and even just look at that. God wants us to be sanctified. Listen, he's talking about progressive sanctification. I know when we get saved, heavenly, we're sanctified. But I gotta walk through that. I gotta flesh that out. And so he's talking about, listen, we need to be people who are sanctified. Now, sanctified doesn't mean you get a robe and a halo and you walk around like this. A lot of times we hear sanctification or holy and that's what we think. That's not what he's talking about. He's saying our lives should be so different from the world. We should be separated from the world. Listen, not out of the world, but we should not take our cues on how to live from the world around us. Our worldview should not come from the world around us. It should come from the Bible. And here's what Paul's saying. He says, God's will is that you live that way, that you're a person, you have an understanding of the world according to God's view of the world, not the people who live in the world's view of the world. So as he says that, listen, he says your sanctification, and then look at what the very first thing he hits. He says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality. Wow. The very first thing he hits to the people of Thessalonica is sexual purity. Does that kind of blow your mind? Because here's what I think a lot of us think. We think, you know, we think, I mean, we live in a weird time, right? We live in a time that, you know, especially when I think of sexuality. We live in a time where, where, where we think, how bad can it get? And I know my parents were saying that when, you know, I was alive in the 60s, and, you know, I think part of where we're at now is uh, we should take some, you know, blame for that as 60s people who were pushing the envelope then, and now it's getting further and further and further. But we think, listen, we think it's as bad as it's ever, you know, it could never be this bad. Let me read to you a few things that were going on in that generation, because you need to know something. Perversion of sexuality was, I think, worse then than it is now. Here's just one example, and he talks about it, and we're gonna talk about, about marriage in a moment, but listen to what he says. He says, in Rome, this is a, a quote I got, in Rome, for the first 500 years of the Republic, there had not been a single divorce. Does that kind of blow your mind? That's kind of interesting, but now, talking about the first century, now the empire, as it has been put, divorce was a matter of a whim. As the Roman philosopher and statesman Seneca said, women were married to be divorced and divorced to be married. In Rome, years were identified by the names of the councils, but it was said that fashionable ladies identified the years by the names of their husbands. One such lady had eight husbands in five years. That's what was going on in Rome. I mean, we think it's bad now. That's what was going on in Rome. Oh, and then this one, that, those are the Romans. Now we're going to talk about the Greeks. Demosthenes explained this situation, uh, the situation of his day. Mistresses were for our pleasure, concubines for our day-to-day -day physical well-being, and wives to bear us legitimate children. As long as a man supported his wife and family, there was no shame in any kind of relationship he had outside of that. 
Wow, and yes, homosexuality, LGBTQ+, was big time in Rome. It was rampant in Rome, and that all was going on in Rome. Now do you know why Paul brought this up? And it was the Gentiles, and even worse than that, I don't even think we see this in, 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 in our world. Every city had temples to different gods and goddesses, and in those temples were prostitutes that you could go have sex with so that you could get closer to God. That's what was going on. And here's what Paul says. You guys, this is the will of God, your sanctification. You need to abstain from sexual immorality. So, I know sometimes, you know, in generations, you gotta, you gotta define, what is sexual immorality? It's plain and simple. Sexual immorality is any, any sexual activity outside of the bonds of marriage. And marriage is, we have to define that, one man and one woman according to the Bible. Again, I'm not taking my view from the world, I'm taking my view from the Bible. It's one man, one woman, so any sexual activity outside of that is sexually immoral, and we need to understand that. And listen, I think today it's kind of, you know, I, I know this is not a popular topic. I know this is something, and I know, and I'll, even some of you are a little bit offended by things I say, but it's truth. And Paul's trying to get the truth to that generation, and he's saying, listen, guys, you have to do this. We might put it this way, you need to find a spouse, a husband or a wife, and you need to marry them and you need to stay faithful and pure the entire marriage till you die. That's what he's saying we need to do. And people are going, come on, that is so old fashioned. Get with it, Pat. No, I'm not gonna change. Why? Because this is the Bible. This is where I get my worldview. So he says, listen, don't do this. You need to abstain from that. And then, and then listen to what he says. This is, this is the one that like, wow. Look at verse four. That each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. Here's what he's saying. You need to know how to control yourself. Boy, that's something we don't know in this generation. You need to, you need to be a person. You're going to control those desires and, and lust. Listen, he's not saying you're not gonna have them. He's saying you need to learn how to, how to control your own vessel. I love that idea that we're kind of just a vessel, right? Control it. Get a handle on it. We're going to learn how in a moment. But that's what he's saying you and I need to do. Now, here's what sort of bums me out. As I read and study, and I think most of you know I'm a studier. I like to dig in. I like to look at things. And the brainiacs, here's what's weird. The brainiacs, that's who I call the, the guys with all the letters behind their names. Those guys. Here's what they do, man. They come to this and they go, well, you know, this word vessel could mean something else. And I'm going, really? And they come up and then all of a sudden they come up with this. You need to learn how to control your own wife. It's like, it's her fault, right? Everything I do is her fault and if I could just get her under control, I could manage things. I'm thinking they kind of got a weird view of marriage. Every time that, and here's, here's how simple it is. You know, sometimes, you know, there used to be a thing called Strong's Concordance. It's a big green book. I mean, most of us don't even have books anymore, right? But if you just do a simple, listen, if you just do a simple search on that original word, every time Paul uses that word in his writing, here's what he's talking about. Your own body. 
So why would I not interpret it that way here? And that's what he's saying. You and I need to learn to control our own body in sanctification. Make a difference. Hey, I don't think I should live like the world. And here's what I know. I'm in this world, and this is one sexual world, right? You can't even buy ice cream without it being some kind of sexual advertisement or innuendo. It like drives me crazy. All I want is ice cream. I don't need all of that other stuff. I just want an ice cream cone. That's all I want. And we live in that culture, but we don't need to let that culture affect us. Control your own vessel in sanctification. I think that's hard for some of us. I think it's a difficult thing. And I'm not minimizing the, the, the difficult and the, the effort and the, you know, what goes into that. And I'm not even minimizing the, you know, the temptation and everything that comes. We're living in that world. But here's what I know, it's possible. Didn't we sing a song today that he can move mountains? Did you guys sing that song? But yet he can't give you the power to control your body? Hmm, what kind of God is that? Do you ever think of it that way? Sometimes when we're singing those songs talking about everything God can do, and we always go to the biggies, right? We always go, no one says, oh my God can keep me from sexual immorality. That'd be an interesting song, wouldn't it? No, we don't think about that. We go for the big stuff. He can break down prison walls. He can move mountains. He can part the sea. And then it comes down to me and him working in my life. Oh, I don't think he can do that. You don't know how hard that is. That is really, you know, I've got lust burning in me, and I just can't control it. Maybe not, but he can. And we'll get to that in a moment. So he says that. Now listen, he says, he says that verse four again, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification, not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. Here's, here's his comparison. He's looking at the world and he goes, that's not how we live. We live like this. Why do we live like this? Well, because Jesus Christ died for our sins. Because he loves us because he cares for us. And we're gonna find out in a moment because he gave us his Holy Spirit, not just to teach us, he gave us his Holy Spirit to empower us. So listen, he says, don't live like the Gentiles. The Gentiles are living that way, and here's the thing. They live that way because they don't know God. It always upsets me in the church, like we get all freaked out when people who don't know God live like people who don't know God. Like why do we get freaked out about that? I, it always blows my mind. People go, oh, do you know what so-and-so, and it's usually a corporation, right? Oh, do you know what this corporation's doing? Well, they don't know Jesus. That's why they're doing that. We're gonna find out you need a chill pill. We're gonna look at that in a moment. You need to stop, step back and look. They don't know God. But here's the sad thing. Then we go home, and we're doing the same thing behind closed doors and we know God, and we have a relationship with God. Oh, but mine's hidden. No, it's not. It's out in the open. He knows exactly what you're doing. He knows exactly what's going on. That should give you some comfort because here's the deal. You can talk to him about it because he knows. And you can sit down and have a conversation with God about what is tripping you up and what is going on in your life. Don't act like, listen, don't act like the Gentiles who don't know God. Don't burn with lust like them. 
We need to be different than them. Once again, we don't, we're not taken out of this world. It would be good if God just like took us out, right? Don't you ever think about that? Don't you wish like, when you, if you said the sinner's prayer, like the minute you said amen, you're gone. Because here's what I know, we get saved and we're excited in that moment and it's so good and then in four days we're like doing something gross again. And we're like, ugh. Maybe not you all, but some of us. But listen to what he says, don't live like the Gentiles who don't know God. Verse six, and no one should take advantage and defraud his brother in this manner because the Lord is the avenger of all such as we forewarned you and testified. Once again, I don't think Paul's giving him an ultimatum, but here's what he's letting us know. I want you to think about this. Those who feel like they have, you know, like they want some sexual freedom and they want to be able to, you know, do things their way and make their own definitions and do things. Every sexual encounter you have will go with you the rest of your life. And we need to understand that. If you're, if you're, listen, if you're getting into sexual immorality as a young person, then that person now, you've robbed them of their relationship with their future spouse if you're not their spouse. And now you've defrauded a brother. Do you hear what he's saying? When we do those things, we're defrauding a brother or a sister. We're taking advantage of that. And we need to know that affects the world around us. Listen, you never sin unto yourself. Your sin affects other people. And depending on, on, on your relationships and who you're with, how much it's going to affect you. And he says, listen, don't be like the Gentiles and don't be like that person that you're gonna take advantage of and defraud another brother or another sister. Think of it that way and ask God again to give you the strength. And then he says this, don't forget God does judge. Now here's what I know, God is going to judge our sin. And he's either gonna judge it under the blood of Jesus Christ or on your own. I want my sin under the blood. I want all my sin under the blood. I want the sin that I sinned last night under the blood. I know some of you haven't sinned in years. Some of us kinda haven't got a grip on that yet. I want my sin under the blood. That's why the Bible tells us if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so here Paul is saying, don't forget, that's a reality. You never sin unto yourself, and you know what? Listen carefully. You never, ever, ever, ever get away with it. Oh, there may not be immediate consequences. There might not even be consequences in the next 45 years but you never get away with it. Get it under the blood. And Paul says, hey, we told you, we talked to you about that. We made sure you, warned, you knew that. We forewarned you and testified. Now, so, now here's the key because I think this is important. Verse seven, for God did not call us to uncleanness, but holiness. I think most of us get that, right? God, hey, God saved us, why? So we could live a sanctified life. We could live a holy life. We could live a life that would glorify him. He didn't sanctify us to live an immoral, filthy life and come to the end and go, whoa, I'm saved. He sanctified us so we would be holy. And then I love verse eight. He says, therefore, he who rejects this, 
does not reject man, but God. So kind of remember, right now, if you're like really mad at me, you want to throw something at me, please don't. But if you're in that mode, listen, you're not, don't get mad at me, get mad at God. He's the one that wrote this. I'm just explaining it. And he says, hey, if you reject this, you reject God. But then he says this, here's the key for all of us. He does not reject man, but he rejects God, who has given us the Holy Spirit. You wanna have victory over your sexual life? Trust the Holy Spirit. Ask the Holy Spirit. You're not gonna do it on your own or you would've already done it. Hey, most of us are ashamed of things we do in the dark. And you would've already taken, but trust the Holy Spirit and ask him to deliver you. Ask him to empower you. Ask him to get involved in that area of your life. Now, having said all that, I do have to say this. We were created as sexual beings. Sexual activity is not poo-hoo. It's not something you don't do as a Christian. Here's my firm belief. The only people who ever experience true sexuality are believers in Jesus Christ. He created us that way. Do you know that God made a sexual beings I like to say this, God invented sexual intercourse. Some of you are going, oh, don't use that word in church. It's okay, take a chill pill. He made us that way. You know what my Bible says that, that in, in Hebrews, we should keep the marriage bed pure. So sexual, listen, having sexual intimacy with your partner, your, your, your wife or your husband, that's a good thing, it's not a bad thing. Don't act like, oh, we as Christians, we don't talk about that, we boo, 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 boo. No, it's good, it's healthy, it's awesome because God has given us that gift. And when it's, listen, when we practice it according to God's way, it is phenomenal. And it always bugs me when people act like, no, oh, Christians don't do that. I'm gonna give you a little, little confession. One reason I didn't want to get saved was because of that. I thought saved people didn't have sex. That's what I thought. Some of you are going, you must have been a dork. <laughs> I just didn't want, I didn't want to get saved. I didn't tell last night this. I just thought, no. And then here's what I found out. I had no idea what sexual in intimacy was about until I got saved. And it is phenomenal. We used to have a poster we used to hang around. It was two hands holding hands with wedding bands. And under it we had, this is what you wear for safe sex. Get it? Yeah. And this is what you wear for great sex. That would be another good one, wouldn't it? I know you can put that in church. But do you hear, listen, so I want, I want to clarify that because I don't want people leaving here today, oh, that church is anti, you know, anti-sex. No, we're anti-sexual immorality. We're very pro-sex. Now, one last thing before we move on because I think it's important. There's a really good book written by a guy and I cannot remember his name right now. Ewan, his last name's Ewan. And it's called Holy Sexuality. 
And it talks about dealing with homosexuality, dealing with heterosexuality, dealing with things. And I love the whole book because the title, I love the title, Holy Sexuality. There is such a thing. So, hey, if you're struggling in this area, get that book. Pick that book up. Hey, if you have some gay friends, pick that book up so you can have conversations with them. This is written from a man who used to be gay. Or, as he says, he still has same-sex attractions that he has to deal with every single day. And there's some people who won't read his book because of that. Christopher Ewan, that's his name. Wow, that came. So, sorry. But listen, man, we need to understand that, and it's okay. Now, Paul dealt with sexuality. Now, listen, now he goes, now he gets a little personal because some of you are going, oh, man, I don't struggle with that. That was a waste of, you know, 35 minutes of the service. Okay, now I'm going to talk to you, right? Verse 9, but concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. Here's what he's saying. I don't have to write to you, you guys. Number one, I think they're practicing it. But number two, they were taught by God. What does he mean they were taught by God? The Holy Spirit, right? Doesn't the Holy Spirit, does he ever convict you guys? Like you're kind of doing life and being, you know, being a jerk. And the Holy Spirit comes and says, hey, you're supposed to have some brotherly love there. You're supposed to be like a little bit kind to that person. And some of us jerks go, no. Not them. And he says, listen, I don't really have to talk about that much. You've been taught by God and practiced it. But he says, verse 10, and indeed you do so toward all the brethren who are in Macedonia. Here's what he's saying. You don't just do it here. You're spreading it. Do you kind of get the idea that they were good at this? But we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more. He's going, hey, you don't just stop. Just because you're doing this, you don't stop and get stagnant. Have you ever smelled stagnant water? It stinks, huh? So think about this. Don't be no stinking stagnant Christian, right? Don't get stagnant, you'll stink. And then, and then people around you, people around you right now are going, <laughs> maybe you got a little stagnant going on, stagnation going on, you need to fix that, right? But he says, listen, I want you to do it. You don't, you don't like, well, you know, I love 15 people today. Woo, I'm done. And you do it more and more. We just keep growing, we keep increasing. We don't reach that point. Oh, and now, I think verse 11's gotta be an amazing verse. Look at what he says, this is great. He says, I want you to do this more and more and that you also aspire to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your own hands as we commanded you. Oh, Paul's getting down to the nitty-gritty there, isn't he? He's like getting in some people's faces and letting some people know that there's some things they need to take care of. And the first thing he says, isn't it interesting? He goes, I want you guys to lead a quiet life. Not necessarily talking about volume, although I think some. But we need to live in this world without getting so bent out of shape as Christians. We need to listen, the world is the world, we're believers, we should influence the world, not yell at the world, not scream at the world, not shake our fingers at the world. He says, lead a quiet life. Be that person that you walk into a situation and, and listen, man, people are going, man, that guy's pretty calm, or that girl's pretty calm. How come they're so calm? Why are they that way? I'm gonna redefine it this way. Just take a chill pill, right? He says, I want you guys to do that. I'm kind of sensing that they were like in each other's faces. 
they were in, you know, some of their, their did any of you get saved and get in your family's face? Any of you do that? A bunch of innocent people like nobody's willing to say. <laughs> you get in your family's face and your family all of a sudden doesn't want to have anything to do with you. I can't believe, man, they won't have anything to do with me because I'm a Christian. No, it's because you're a jerk. <laughs> don't have anything to do with your Christianity. So listen, he says, I want you to aspire. So think some of us need to do this. Now this next one, this next one hits home for a lot of us. He says, and listen to this, mind your own business. Oh, wow, really? Like I was just thinking of who needed to be here to hear this right now. Now mind your own business, man. There was a sign in a store once, I loved it, man. I so wanted to buy it, Gainel wouldn't let me buy it. And it says, here's your nose, I found it in my business. Isn't that great, isn't that perfect? Oh, that's so good. I want to get a big nose, a big old honking nose, and carry it around with me. Mind your own business. Sometimes we are so busy in trying to fix everybody else that we can't even see what's going on in our own lives. Mind your own business. Take care of this. Take care of yourself. Make sure that's done. And then he says this important thing. Work with your own hands. You gotta understand, in that culture, manual labor was looked down upon. It was frowned upon. And for Paul to say that was like really taking a step outside of culture. Again, we're talking about being different than the culture around you and not allowing the culture to define who you are, but allow the Bible to define who you are. And it seems to me, according to Paul and according to uh, the rest of the New Testament, we need to be people who, hey, we're not gonna be a burden on somebody else. We're not gonna be a burden on the church. We're gonna work with our own hands. We're not gonna be a burden on the government. We're gonna work with our own hands. We're gonna get things done. We're gonna find ways to do that. And I think, again, I, you know, this, is a, this is one of my hobby horses. I think way too many young people are afraid to work right now. And I think, listen, I think a college education is great. If you're bent for college, you know not everybody's made to go to college. Do you know that? Parents. Not every kid. My dad said, you're going to college. I go, I don't want to go to college. You're going. I go, I don't want to go. You're going. I said, okay, I want to go to ASU. This is another confession. I want to go to ASU. And he goes, wow, that was quick. Why do you want to go to ASU? I said, because that's the party college, and that's what I'm going to major in. <laughs> he decided I didn't need to go to college. <laughs> Some of us are not bent that way. And here's what I know, you learn to work with your own hands, you learn a trade, you will always have a job. No matter what the economy does, you will always have a job. And Paul's saying, work, work with your own hands. Don't be, listen, don't be a leech on the church, but I think even in our generation, don't be a leech on the, on the government. You know, hey, some of us feel so entitled, well, you know, I did this, they owe this to me. No, they don't. Work with your own hands, and then he says, we're gonna wrap this up here because, it, you know, because we have to. <laughs> Work with your own hands as we commanded you. Listen carefully that you may walk properly toward those who are outside and you may lack nothing. What is Paul's whole thing in these 12 verses? What is his whole emphasis? That we reflect Jesus to the world out there, not 
hey, we don't need to, we're, we're pretty good at reflecting Jesus to each other. Come on. But what about to the world? What about to the person who's checking you out at that wherever, wherever you shop? I was gonna say, you know, Safeway, Walmart, I gotta name them all, Fries, Target, what, you know. Hey, how, are you, how do you treat those people? You treat them like, you treat them like you don't even ever wanna see them again? Or do you have some little bit of Christian love towards them? Well, you know, they're heathens. Oh, good, love them a little bit more. So they'll get unheathened. Here's what he's saying. Walk this way with sexual purity and integrity is the way I define those three things so that you can be an example to those outside. He didn't say those inside, those outside and that they will know. So I think we should heed this. I think we should pay attention to this and I think we should be people that man, we are going to, hey, here's what we're gonna say. Because Jesus has done this in my life, I want the world to know this is what he does when he changes your life. This is what happens to you. And begin to express that. Let's stand up and pray. Lord, I know, I know some of this is like not, obviously not popular in our generation. I don't think it was any more popular in that generation. And we can be influenced by the world around us. There's no doubt about that. And we have it coming at us in every direction. I think especially of this area of, of, of sexual purity, it's coming in every direction. It's not, it's just not, it's not just TV or, or just movies, it's everything. We live in a culture of sexuality. And I don't think it was any different in Paul's day sitting there in, 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 in Corinth as he's writing this letter, I'm sure he's looking out, seeing things even maybe worse than what we're seeing. And he says it is possible to control your own vessel. That is possible by yielding to the Holy Spirit. It is possible to walk a walk of integrity to be a person who we're going to chill out, we're gonna mind our own business, we're gonna work with our own hands, and we're gonna be an example to the world around us through the empowering of the Holy Spirit. That's possible. So I pray that we wouldn't just relegate this and say, man, those Thessalonians were having a problem, they needed to get it together, but we would understand this is about us and our generation, and this is about our world, this is about our community here that we're living in, and we need to be an example. So Lord, here we are, we're people saying, yes, yes, Jesus, thank you for saving me. Thank you for changing me. Thank you for being my God. Thank you for loving me unconditionally. And let me allow that to flow through me to the world around me. Change us, God, I pray, every single one of us. Change us. And I'm gonna ask you to stay in an attitude of prayer. And you know what? If you're here today and you've never asked Jesus Christ to forgive your sins, you've never accepted what he's done on the cross, the wages of sin is death, and all of us have sinned. We'll talk about that in a moment. But Jesus went to the cross and paid your debt. He paid what you owed, and he didn't just die physically, he also died spiritually. And now he holds out for you this certificate that says paid in full. So you have to come to the place where, number one, you recognize that you are a sinner. 
And that shouldn't be hard. I think everybody knows. I think we just have a hard time, like, admitting it. But everyone sinned. The Bible says that. It's clear. And again, I think we know it. But now you need to tell God that you know you're a sinner, not for him, for you. You need to come open and out about that and let God know, yes, I'm a sinner. And you need to ask him today to forgive your sins. That's what he did on the cross. And I promise you, if you call on the name of the Lord, he will forgive your sins. So I'm gonna say a prayer, and you can say this prayer with me out loud, or you can say it silently. Volume isn't important, but your heart is. You need to be sincere as we say this prayer. If you're backslidden this morning, come home, man. Come back to Jesus. And if you're backslidden this morning, here's what I know. You're miserable. I know you're just like, oh, and you know what? Let go of that. Let go of all that. Come home. Come back to Jesus. He loves you. If you're watching online, hey, you can say the prayer right where you're at. You don't have to, you don't have to be in a special place. Say it there in your, in your living room or in your pajamas or however. You can just call on the name of the Lord. Jesus, today I confess to you that I am a sinner. I'm sorry that I sinned against you, God. And right now I'm asking you to forgive me. Jesus, thank you for dying for me. Thank you today for your forgiveness. And right now, I want you to come into my heart and change me. Jesus, come into my life and guide me. I want you to be my Lord and my Savior.